Pacific Conversations from the Development Policy Centre with Tess Newton-Kane. My name is Tess Newton-Kane from the Development Policy Centre and this afternoon it's a great honour for me to be able to have a chat with Koloni Bai who is talking to me from Apia. Now Koloni is very well established as a commentator and analyst of all things financial and economics not only in relation to his own country of Samoa, but in relation to the region as a whole. So looking forward to um, a very stimulating conversation. So Talofa Kaloni to Pacific Conversations. Talofa Tess. Okay, so to begin with, um, I guess just as a general introduction to some things that we might look at in more detail, whether you could possibly give us your assessment of the Samoan economy at present, what, what are the what are the key things that we need to know about the economy of Samoa at this present time? Okay. Um, in terms of the Samoan economy, if, if you're asking me as to an assessment of where the economy is at, I, I would say that it's performing much better than expected immediately after the cyclone events in December but it's still an economy that is struggling to try and get back to the pre-2009 level of activity. Uh, you would uh, recall that when I made a presentation uh, in 2012, I made the point that in the early 2000s, the economy was growing in, in between 3 to 4% per annum. Uh, this is real growth in GDP. And then in 2009, the combination of the global financial crisis and the 2009 tsunami, uh, the economy went into a tailspin. It, it basically uh, shrank by at least 5%. And since then, it started to get back on its feet uh, in 2011, 2012, and then Cyclone Evans came along and sort of gave the, the, the economy uh, another big sort of shock uh, that has uh, basically led to uh, a projection of a, a GDP growth of less than 1% in 2013. So overall, it's, 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 it's an economy that is struggling to to recover from these natural disasters. Um, in terms of, of, of the positives, I, if you look at the, the international reserves, the international reserves have been able to hold They're still around five and a half months of imports. Uh, in terms of uh, prices, they've been averaging one to two percent. That's been the best indicator uh, in the economy. Now, that is really an outcome of a, a very uh, aggressive sort of food security program program that's been, been pushed by the government, and it's been very fortunate that it's been able to sort of counter any uh, major sort of dislocation to the agricultural sector from the cyclone. In terms of, of, the, uh, of the, the economy, the biggest uh, damage inflicted by Cyclone Evans was in the tourism sector. Uh, 
There's a lot of uh, reconstruction now going on, but it has always been envisaged that it would take at least two to three years for the the, the sector to, to fully recover. So there's a lot of uh, construction, and there's the some optimism in, in there with the uh, the government hosting the uh, SIDS conference in, in September 2014. So that, that together with a number of uh, special measures that uh, the government has uh, introduced to encourage the reinvestment in the tourism sector, it's giving some sort of hope that we'll be able to sort of really reduce the recovery period from three to maybe uh, to one and a half years. So that's okay. I think I, sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think that that's given us um, some really important background as to you know, the factors that have, have led to where the Samoa and where the economy of Samoa currently finds itself. And, and maybe building on from that, and you you have sort of already flagged a couple of things, but. In addition to the impact of the rebuilding post cycle and Evan, what are what are some other issues that you think are going to be significant in the medium to longer term for uh, economic development in your country? In terms of the uh, the medium long term uh, issues that are there for the economy, it's really to to recognise the fact that we're now becoming predominantly a service economy and we need to sort of put in place all the necessary infrastructure that's needed for a service economy to compete effectively, not just in, within the region, but globally. So it, it, it's quite a major challenge for the, the Samoan economy because uh, there are prospects in manufacturing and in agriculture, but those are really very limited because of the geographical uh, Position of Samoa, uh, which makes it uh, very difficult to compete at the international level. In terms of uh, the, the, the key issues as I, I see them, I think in, in terms of uh, moving the economy forward, we, we now have to recognize that there will be a lot more uh, there'll be a higher frequency of natural disasters. I think it's, it's, it w- we may have to assume that that will become a norm, and we need to sort of uh, ensure that whatever growth uh, strategies that we put together, that we really have to bring in the climate change uh, mitigation and, and adaptation measures. Um, that is a, a major uh so a shift that needs to be uh, followed through, uh, it's, it's a new area, and people need to become more familiar and, and, and uh, accept the fact that this is the, the sort of environment in which the economy will be performing in. In terms of the, the, the services sector, tourism is still seen as a, a major uh, uh, economic activity, uh, but in, it, it is restricted by its narrow base because I would say 80% of the tourists come from New Zealand and Australia. So we're really dependent on, on, on those two economies. 
efforts are now being made to try and diversify in terms of trying to get more uh, or reestablish uh, links to the U.S., the Northern uh, Hemisphere market, but that may take time. There are talks about links to the Asian economies. That will also take time because of the the distance and also the, the infrastructure that's needed to, to have the necessary improvements to, for example, the airports uh, to allow these long-haul flights to come in. And then you also are faced with the issue of how do you get the volumes so that you can justify mm-hmm. such long-haul flights. So it's, 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 there's optimism there, but it's, 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 uh, it will be a, a very uh, sort of medium to long-term sort of uh, strategy. Yes, yes. You've mentioned a couple of times. You've mentioned that um, you see that there is optimism, optimism in relation to the tourism, and and that, that tourism is coming back and is expected to continue to come back. I'd like to just ask you whether, in connection with what you also said about the services economy needing to become the focus for Samoa at this time, what other causes? for optimism do you see in the medium to longer term and to what extent are they linked to opportunities to diversify the services economy in your country? Okay, well uh, in terms of the services sector I, I guess uh, I know it's an area that was recognized as the brain drain in, in the 60s and 70s but I guess we are now seeing a different perspective of the outward migration. Now we are seeing the second or the third, fourth generation are coming back with new skill sets. So I, I guess that I, I personally think that there's a big potential in tapping the the the, the, the pool of, of skilled uh, labour from the, the Samoan diaspora in Northern America and in. In, in Australia and New Zealand, uh, because that will be a, an important part in, in building up the, the service economy. Uh, in, in terms of the infrastructure, uh, there are uh, sort of moves by the international financial institutions like the World Bank and Asian World Bank to actually uh, put together uh, the the infrastructure that's needed in terms of the, uh, the submarine cable and, and all the, the necessary telecommunications facilities are needed to provide that uh, set of communications. If, if those fall into place, I guess we'll, we'll have those two basic ingredients needed for the service sector. Um, there's some talk on, on, on professional sports and but then that that is really dictated by the the number of professional players that are able to sort of secure contracts in overseas and and then releasing those earnings back to the country. Uh, there's a fast-growing area in that, but I'm not quite sure of, of its uh, sustainability. Right. So that that's basically what I can see in terms of uh, the the medium-long-term sort of areas where there could be optimism. 
So, so just to pick up on one of the points that you made there, I mean, obviously, previously, we've always thought of remittances being a significant contributor to the Samoan economy. Um, but as you've mentioned, we've had the global financial crisis, and uh, some of the diaspora are now into their third and fourth generation. So just briefly, how do you see that picture in relation to remittances? How has it changed over the last few years? And and how might it change going forward, bearing in mind all those different factors that are now at play? So the, uh, the flow of remittances have amazingly been very stable. I guess, you know, the, there has been a talk that maybe by the third, fourth generation, uh, there will be uh, a drop in, in the uh, sort of the remittance uh, uh, practice. If, if you're looking at the sort of intergenerational sort of patterns. But I guess what has happened is that given the relatively free access of people from here, particularly to New Zealand, uh, we do have a very stable flow, I guess. As you expect, some will move to the uh, fourth and fifth generation, will drop their, their remittances, but then the pool of, of people that are uh, in the first and second generations being refreshed from, from here. So there's a, an ongoing sort of refreshing of the pool of, of the first and second generation. But then you're also seeing the, the fourth or fifth generation people, uh, maybe they're not remitting as much, but they're now looking also to Samoa as an area for employment opportunities or, or for businesses. And, and we're actually observing a number of those. They're not significant, but it's 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 quite an interesting trend that if they pick up, it will it could become a very good opportunity for the country to tap into a much wider pool of of, of skilled uh, uh, labour. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really quite fascinating. That whole sort of uh, trend in how migration and my, migration and then coming back is is, as you say, is changing the skills that are available within the country and possibly introducing new um, new economic activities that might not have been present previously. Um, I'd like to move on to another issue. Quite recently, um, I've been reading and talking to people about um, an issue that's, that's relevant throughout the region, and that is the level of public debt that is being carried by Pacific Island countries. And a couple of the things that I've read appear to indicate that Samoa is one of the highest debt-carrying countries in the region. So I guess I would like to know, one, whether you, whether you think that's a fair assessment or whether your perception is something different, and also how significant a challenge you think that is for the Samoan economy. Okay. Um... In terms of uh, external risk, uh, you're aware that, I mean, the government policy here has been uh, put out that they would look at a 50% of GDP as a indicator that once they go beyond that, then they need to, to basically uh, take a very cautious approach then to, to borrowings. Now, that um, threshold has actually been Past it's in, in 
I guess at this point it's around about 60% of GDP, nominal GDP. Uh, so yeah. I guess if, 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 if one is looking at the level of, uh, of debt in relation to the, the government uh, policy benchmark, then one would say that it has now exceeded its 50%. So it will be a cause of concern. Uh, I, I guess uh, I'm just looking at the, recently at the, the figures, and in terms of uh, debt servicing, uh, external debt is around seven, about eight percent of recurrent revenue in the budget in terms of the government budget, and it's about ten percent of foreign reserves. Now, mm-hmm. how do those stack up? Now, those look reasonable and manageable. But I guess it, it's, it's really the issue of the, the quality. What, what, what has been the, the portfolio of investments that were financed from these uh, uh, external debts? And that, that is really the issue I think that needs to be focused on, is that for every borrowing, there needs to be a very vigorous uh, uh, appraisal to ensure that whatever that it's being invested in, it's productive and is able to generate the necessary foreign exchange to to repay the the, the, the loan when the, the servicing uh, kicks in. You know, some have said, is the 60% too high? Well, uh, if you look at that from a historical perspective, in the 80s, the uh, level of debt to GDP was actually in the 80, 80% level range. So it, although it has come down, I think government is a lot more uh, cautious now in terms of its uh, 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 borrowings. And I guess uh, one would say then that the, they need to be a lot more cautious in, in terms of additional borrowings. Now, Having said that, you also then have uh, a, a very interesting situation that has developed, is that with the new uh, sort of development partners coming in, particularly from, from Asia with, with, with China, where basically most of the assistance is in terms of the uh, loans, it, it, it's a, it will be a very uh, delicate balancing exercise to make sure that the, the resources that are being made available uh, actually uh, examine in, in detail to ensure that there, there's a lot more discipline in, in the borrowings. I do not foresee any sort of uh, stop on actual additional borrowing, but I guess it's more taking a more commercial approach to ensure that the investments that are actually being financed from these external debts um, are productive and of and a quality such that you'll be able to sort of rely on these uh, investments during the duration of, of for the repayment period. Uh, you also have a situation of uh, borrowings from a currency that is considered relatively uh, undervalued now, uh, and I guess the, the 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 issue that comes up is that uh, if you're borrowing an undervalued currency, 
there's a, a very high probability that they will move uh, up against the Tala, and that could create a lot of uh, uh, or increase costs because of the exchange rates. So I guess there, there, there are a number of issues that now have to be balanced in, in trying to sort of uh, keep the development going with external debt, but at the same time ensuring that uh, there's a lot more discipline approach to, to borrowings. Okay, thank you. Um, I think the points that you've made are really very interesting, and I think um, we can be fairly confident that the similar issues, or those issues, apply not just in Samoa, but in uh, a number of countries in the region who were all dealing with the sorts of issues you've just raised. You did, you, you to maybe to ask you to just um, elaborate on that a little bit. I wanted to ask you what, in relation to the management of debt, whether that is taking on additional borrowings or working out how to service debt. What are the policy options that are available to the government, and what signs do you see as to which of those options they are pursuing or plan to pursue? Okay, well, they basically have very limited options if they want to keep the develop the momentum of the development programs. Uh, because of the limited range of, of development partners, uh, it, it, it's very difficult to, to try and, and, and come up with a new set of, uh, of options as to avoiding uh, debt. Um, I guess an interesting uh, trend that I've actually seen in, in the case of Samoa is that we're now seeing the World Bank and the Asian Development Bank Providing grant funding for its, its assistance to financial assistance to Samoa, uh, that that is historically a, 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 a quite a radical approach from these international organisations. So there's a lot more, I guess, increased uh, recognition of the vulnerability of of island economies like Samoa and how. Uh, Fragile that they wouldn't be able to uh, rely too much on borrowings. So the the normal source of 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 uh, debt for Samoa and most of the island countries is it's now sort of becoming a lot more uh, flexible in in the, in the approach. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Kalani, for all that fascinating information. Um, it's always good to find out what's happening with our Eastern neighbors. So thank you for taking the time to chat with me today and give us an update on the Samoan economy. And I wish you, from Port Vila, a very good evening. Okay. Thank you, and same to you. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea and the Pacific, and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org.